Left speaker. Check. Right speaker. Check. Mic. Check. Banging beats. Check. Here we go. You're listening to WGSR, bringing hope and comfort to the world. 24 hours a day. Lock it on to the best station on the net. Online. Around Around the planet planet, on the the World World Wide Web. Web. Streaming 24-7. Internet radio. Welcome, everyone, to God Stories Radio. This is session 112, 112. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. Oh. That's a real short intro without the ladies. No Tina. No Trish. <laughs> no Trish. They bailed on us tonight. Well, Trish is still uh, nursing that uh, the operation she had on her wrist uh, from last week. That's true. She's been in a lot of pain. And, and if I heard her right, I think she said Kay was having some some uh spasms or or you know uh i don't know what they call that i when i got to work convulsions and uh all convulsions yeah oh wow seizures okay seizures yeah so pretty much almost the same yeah you guys please pray for trish she's been really really uh battling been under the weather big time so what's going on over there fritz you know uh i've had a pretty good week um, I've had some uh, some issues, you know, personally, but that's uh, always, oh, yeah. <laughs> always. Oh yeah, you don't know what that's like, though, Mikey. <laughs> <laughs> Your life is perfect. Oh sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, by the grace of God, I'm getting through it, and I'm learning. You know, and uh, yeah. and that's the best you can do is hey, make sure you learn. And as we go through these things, you know, it's uh, at the end of the day, it's less of me and more of him absolutely and i realize that he's going to do it in a way and in a fashion where he gets the glory not where fritz gets the glory absolutely so the sooner i relent (laughs) sit down be quiet Uh uh-huh go okay father you got it you got you got it um we got some uh facebook likes some shout outs over there mikey we do you're gonna have to do it all tonight okay facebook likes rose rubio salinas hey rose thank thank you for your liking us and we have uh, Daijin Senoran Villanueva. I think you did a good job on that I one, I think Mikey. so, too. I think so. Thank you for uh, liking us. Thank you very much. And Jesse W. Martin. Thank you for liking us on Facebook. Jesse W. Martin. And uh, what about some countries or some regions? We have some regions. I'm taking them just as they come, Fritz. Okay. Uh, in line from uh, the most to the, to the least on uh, listens. And the next in line is Indiana. Indiana. Oregon. Oh, Portland. And, My daughter's out in Portland. Is she? Uh-huh. And Illinois. And Illinois. Ah, oh, that's fantastic. I I have family out in Springfield, Springfield Illinois, Illinois. So yeah. I, I don't know if they specifically listen, but I, I hope that they do. And um, we have also a bunch of likes on Freedom Radio Networks. I mean, we have almost 93 followers. We've got 99 new likes. I'll try to pronounce it. Ali Siari, Hassan 
Musa Zango and uh, Nasir Bashir Zango. We're getting a lot of um, overseas folks, and it just blesses my heart, man, because while we're asleep, the Lord's still ministering (laughs) overseas while they're awake. God Stories Radio is alive over there, and they can uh, listen to 24 hours of Mikey. On Freedom Radio Networks. Oh my goodness. Dot com. Uh huh. Wow, that's great. So pray for Trish, and uh, we miss her this week, and uh, she'll be back next week. But uh, Trish uh, came across our next guest, uh, whose name is Walt, and uh, Walt is an author of um seventeen books. Uh, we had just a great talk. We talked offline this afternoon about a couple of them. Uh, one is the Bible in politics, and the other one is coping with change. Uh, I'm going to read that book myself. And <laughs> You know, what's funny was when I was going through such a rough time five years ago, I actually wrote a, you know, like a 25 or 30-page little, I call it the pamphlet because it, it's really not a book, but I, I entitled it Coping with the Pain of Change. So that's really neat to see somebody that's actually – uh, written something. Not too many people like change. No, or the pain that comes with it. Mm-hmm. That learning process, you know, patience, perseverance. You oh, know, sure. you know the scripture. Oh yeah. Yeesh. So uh, anyway, without further ado, I'd like to welcome to the show Walt. Hi. Hey, Walt. How you doing? Uh, thanks for taking the time to call in and be with us tonight and uh, share your story, and talk about some of the books you've written, and just be a light in this uh, tunnel of politics <laughs> that we, <laughs> praise the Lord. So uh, take it away, Walt. Well, the first thing I'd like to say is I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in the sight of the Lord. Amen. Um. Uh, let me just kind of kick it off here. I, I'll just kind of sweep through my biography fairly quickly. I was born at a very young age. and uh, <laughs> Mike is laughing. He got that. I, I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I, I did very well in school after the first couple of three years. took me that long to settle down. But I did. I did well. In fact, I was so bright that my mother called me son. <laughs> did you get that, Mike? That went right by you, didn't yes, it? it did. All right. I was actually born, and, and this is true, I was born on June the 14th. Now, for those of you listening who do not know, June the 14th in the United States is Flag Day. Well, one time I asked my mom, uh, why were all the flags flying? And she said, to celebrate your birthday. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I found out not too long ago that that wasn't true. (laughs) So I was so disappointed and downhearted, but uh, I got over it. Well, that's good well, that you you uh, got through the struggle, Walt. We we we're glad that you're doing well. <laughs> uh, it was, I didn't go out and throw a tamper tantrum. I didn't uh, 
didn't go out and demonstrate in the streets. I didn't burn any cars or smash windows. I learned to cope with that uh, uncomfortable thing uh, fairly easily. I was not what you would consider to be nowadays a snowflake. So anyway, after graduating from high school, I went into the Air Force, and uh, I served six years there, uh, Was went into the field of electronics, and that was where I became interested in that sort of uh, technology, because fortunately... I got, and I say fortunately, let me just predicate that with this. I know now, because I accepted Christ at a very young age, uh, although I didn't necessarily commit myself to him, I did accept him, and there is a difference. When you accept Christ... you are opening the door for His Holy Spirit to come in and change you. But when you commit yourself to Him, that change then takes place and captivates your entire being, and your focus is on the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of men. Amen. And so, uh, even though I had accepted Christ... I wasn't necessarily living for him. Uh, But, you know, it's interesting, too, that we may forget that we have accepted Jesus as our Lord, but the Father never forgets. And he will always have his hand upon us, sometimes for correction and discipline, and other times for comfort and to help you to grow and accelerate. Well, that was sort of where I was in the military. I sang in some church choirs and so forth, and I kind of tell people that was an era of my life when I would sow my wild oats on Saturday night and then go to church and pray for an early crop failure. Not not literally now, just as a kind of figuratively speaking. Um, when I got out, I decided I wanted to go to college and further my career. So I took a job in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, at probably the finest hotel on the beach, and I was the night manager. And one of the things I'll never forget is a man gave me a $5 tip. Now, back in 1966, a $5 tip was a big tip. Mm -hmm. Well, I was working 98 hours a week. My intention was to go to school and then work. Well, I quickly did the calculation. There's only 168 hours in a week. If I am working 98, that leaves me 70 hours. And if I'm going to sleep at least six hours 
Now that's 24 out of that, so that leaves me, what, about 44 hours? And that didn't leave me a whole lot of time. So I said, I, I think I'd better step this down, and I took a job at another motel as their night manager, and that was 68 hours a week. That's a little better. But I can truthfully say that that decision was made consciously by me for a worldly thought, that is, of my plan of getting down to a reasonable amount of working hours. But I look back now, and I can see God's hand was in that decision, because shortly after I began working there, a group of four school teachers from Connecticut came down on their back then Easter vacation, and there was one lovely girl who just captivated my attention. And she was just stunning. I mean, she just immediately had my undivided attention. Well, without going, I can tell you exactly we went to on a date, but not before I asked her girlfriend out, because I knew if I asked her, she turned me down. So I asked her girlfriend out, took her to dinner, treated her like a queen, and then I could ask the other girl, and she went out and so forth. And Anyway, I told her when she left, dropped me a card, never thinking she would, but she did. A week later, I asked if I could come see her because I was leaving Myrtle Beach. It turned out she lived 10 miles from my sister and her husband. For the next number of months, I courted her every weekend. We wound up getting married in June of 1966. And as I often say, people say, well, how did you meet? And I said, well, I picked her up in a motel. <laughs> and that's true. And the first time I said that with my wife there, I thought I was going to have a busted chin. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact remains that that was God, and I have learned since then that he has been in it for the last 50-plus years because we just celebrated our 50th this past June. Wow, praise the Lord. And, yes, amen to that. Well, during our marriage, uh, in fact, when we first got married, she already had her master's degree, and uh, I hadn't even earned my bachelor's, but I started a year before we got married. And a little quip on that, I always wanted to marry a Southern girl because I just, I, that's what my heart was laid on. And I wound up marrying a girl from Southern Connecticut. So I guess the Lord's sense of humor is sometimes way beyond mine. Isn't that the truth? But um, he knew what he was doing. There's no question about that because her name is Magdalene. And so, if anyone knows the story about Mary Magdalene, you bet. Mm -hmm. um, he gave me a true 
Proverbs 31 woman. Amen. Of her name written by Proverbs 31 in my Bible. And for those of you who do not understand what I'm saying, I would suggest read the last number of verses in Proverbs 31, and you will understand. And if you are not married, pray that God will bless you with a Proverbs 31 wife. Well, I went to school, and uh, I went. we immediately moved upon getting married. We went to Texas, where I had been working for a year uh, and going to school for a year there. I worked at Manned Spacecraft Center in the space program on the advanced Apollo programs. And uh, it was interesting because when I was there, they were talking about Gemini flights, and uh, I was working on advanced Apollo, which was the next generation beyond the Apollo, which hadn't even gotten into the gear yet. Tells you how far ahead they were working. Well, I graduated from the University of Houston with my electrical engineering degree and uh, graduated with honors, decided to go ahead and get my master's degree, which I did, and then I got high honors there, which was good, but you know what was very intriguing to me is even though I graduated with high honors I recognized I didn't know how to think. I didn't understand how to think. I was a good technician when it came to cranking things out and memorizing things and trying to put two and two together. But to think, I didn't understand that until I took a course in abstract algebra in graduate school. And it was then that God opened the door to my understanding of what it meant to think. Very simplistically, I learned the rules, I understood the definitions, and then it was simply a matter of applying and working the two together. And then I realized the same thing is true when we read the Bible. We can read the Bible and not understand it, or we can read it and let the Holy Spirit work in us and show us how things fit together. And upon my graduation, I then began to work in the uh, effectively the defense industry in some way, shape, or manner. And uh, I spent my entire career almost 50 years associated with the military or the military defense business, and I retired as a senior manager. Uh, and I'll get to that a little later on here, because God has been operating in my life. For the first part of it, I was not aware. All I knew that things just seemed to fall into place to some degree. And then I began my career, uh, I'm sorry, I began to spend time studying and reading the Bible, and since 1980, I have read the Bible through every year since then. 
And wow. I'm still amazed at how I can read something that I've read, what, 36 times before, and yet there's a different meaning, a different take on it. The Spirit gives me a revelation that I've never understood before. Well, I began journaling about 1980. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why, but I started to hear things, so to speak. I, I prefer to say now, sense. I began to sense things in my spirit, and so I started to write them down. And I look back at a lot of what I wrote in those early years, and I understand it was, it was God. But I was in kindergarten in terms of the Holy Spirit's school of writing, because that is exactly what happened since then. I'm now an advanced graduate school in the Holy Spirit school of writing, and I suspect that until the day I see him as he is, I will continue to learn and to grow, because the Lord is my teacher. And I began to get more and more involved in my writing. I then began to share it with people, and they appreciated it. Um... And so I continued to write. I published my first book roughly about 1993 or so, self-published, and went on to self-publish about five more thereafter. They were received well. However, that wasn't what I was doing full-time because I was still working now, I'm going to shift gears here uh, and then try to tie these together. During my working career, I had been what I like to refer to as gainfully unemployed with dignity on seven different occasions. Now, what I mean by that is that during my period of unemployment, I did things that helped generate some income. And I say with dignity because I belonged to the Lord. And that is where I felt my dignity and I tried to take my identity in Him. But that was a real deep struggle. Because the very first time that I got laid off, very quickly the story behind it is I went from engineering, because I didn't want to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. I liked people more than I liked sitting down and designing some electronic circuit. And so I moved into marketing, not realizing that marketing can be very volatile. Well, this was technical marketing. I did a good job, 
not because of who I was, but because of who Christ is in me. Anybody that ever hired me didn't get just me. They got three of us. They got the Lord, they got the Holy Spirit, and they got me. And it was only because of the Holy Spirit that I was successful in anything I did in my career. Because I do not consider myself uh, a bright uh, nor an intelligent individual. I'm a hard worker, but anything that is good in me comes from God. Colossians 3.23. I I was doing an excellent job. I was getting customers writing in and sending compliments to me and copying my boss. And and, uh, I was given a region. The country was divided into four regions. And I had the north, I'm sorry, I had the uh, western region. That was 35 states. And I don't know how many salesmen. And that this was in the semiconductor industry. Well, when I took over, that was the least productive sector. They were the number four out of four. They were at the bottom. A year later, we were at the top. We were the most productive. And so, again, I give the Lord credit for that. However, some weeks, months later, my boss called me in and just simply, well, we've got to lay you off. Boom. Clear out of the blue. I later found out what happened, but I won't go into that. It was unbelievable, unbelievably stupid. But I went home, and I want to tell you, I wept. I was so hurt, so deeply hurt. And I remember one time coming home from something. I sat at the table because my wife called us, and we were having little pizza bagels that she had made. We had our little girl and our son. Our girl was three, uh, five, and our son was three. And I sat down, and I could barely say grace. I'm not even sure if I did, but my wife may have. And then I I couldn't even take a bite to eat. I started crying. And my wife asked me, what was the matter? And I told her, I said, I just don't feel like anybody cares or anybody loves me. That's how deeply wounded I was. Well, it was shortly thereafter I mean, within a moment or two, my little girl looked across the table and she said, Daddy, I just want to tell you that I love you and your family loves you. I picked her up. I picked her up. I held her tight and we sat in the chair and I wept. That was a moment I will never ever forget. Yet it was a profound turning point in helping me understand. Most men, and now it's true for women to some degree as well, most men take their identity 
from what they do rather than who they are in Christ. Big time. And when you take your identity from what you do, that means the world can steal that identity at any time it chooses. Yes, they can. And when they steal your identity, you will go into what I experienced is an identity crisis. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you're worth. You don't know how to conduct yourself. You feel completely lost. And you get up in the morning and you get out, go out to get the newspaper and you see cars going by and you wonder, what is wrong with me? And you take it very personally. But I began to realize then that I needed to depend on Jesus and not on what I could do in the world. Well, that happened to me three or four more times, and I was beginning to develop as a writer. And my wife, being a school teacher, she was off to school. I went into the living room, and she had gone to school, and I sat there with a paper or pad and pen in my hand. And I said, Lord, this is happening to me so many times now. What am I doing wrong? I want to know. And I was ready with pen in hand to take notes. And I heard one word. Nothing. Lord, if I'm not doing anything wrong, then why does my life look like the back of a tapestry? Now, if you are familiar with tapestries, you know that when you look at the back, there are threads and knots all over the place. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. You cannot make any sense out of it. You just don't understand. It looks like a mess. And that's where I said, God, it looks like the back of the tapestry. And it was then that I sensed the Lord say to me, turn it over. And then I realized what the message was. Stop looking at your life like the world looks at it. Look at your life through the lens of Scripture, through the eyes of Jesus, through the words of Scripture. And when you do that, you will find your identity in Christ because you are looking through his lens and not the glasses of the world. Well... Amen to that. I'd say that's a baseball bat, wouldn't you, Mikey? Uh Uh-huh. There were a few times thereafter that I got laid off. However, before I took my, almost my last job, I was, I became a baseball umpire in about 1985, 1987, and I never went to school on it, but I can happily say that I ultimately rose to the point where I did AAA Major League 
spring training games. My proficiency was uh, beyond the belief of many professionals who saw, who I worked with when they realized I never never went to school. I studied hard, I worked hard, I asked questions, and I began to realize that there's a correlation between being a baseball umpire and living life uh, and also living as a Christian. you got to learn to take a lot of abuse. You also, as an umpire, you have a lot of authority, and you you got to know how and when to use it. And the same thing is true with us as Christians. We have the authority that Jesus gave us, but we have to know when and how to use it in order for it to be effective. I loved baseball. I loved being an umpire. So I generated quite a bit of income while I was doing that. While I was laid off, and by the way, this last period of being laid off was almost three years. It was about a month shy of three years. And I also, I had been doing a lot of, writing a lot of poetry. I was printing it and putting it on beautiful paper. And I was laminating it, framing it, matting it, selling it. So I had some good things going. I was beginning to enjoy my freedom. Because now my identity was being centralized where it should be. Then I... I got a call for a job, and it was a very good job. It was a program director with uh, one of the local companies in town. And so I felt that they were going to make me an offer, and sure sure as I'm sitting here, they did. And I said, well, Lord, if I take this, here's my fleece I'm going to throw out there. They let me do baseball games when uh, when, I, when I want to. And uh, I think there was another one that I had uh, on there as far as monetary or compensation. Well, <laughs> I can't believe it to this day. They said, sure, to both of them. <laughs> well, I took the job and... Um, the company eventually got bought out by an Israeli outfit. Now, I thought that was interesting. Um, eventually, the Israeli company was about ready to go bankrupt, and so they were going under, and they were laying people off. And I knew eventually it was going to hit me. Now, they were providing a severance package, and so I interviewed with another company. It was my last company here. And uh, I waited and I called and they made me an offer. We negotiated the package and I was able to negotiate a little bit because I was coming more from a position of strength since I had a job, but they didn't know I wasn't going to have that job. But I didn't feel it was necessary to let them know that. Uh, so I wound up getting laid off of that company 
and a week later walked into the other with $20,000 as my severance because I waited rather than jumped too quickly. Hmm. And the point there is when you wait upon the Lord, you never know the blessings that are in store for you. And that $20,000 helped to defray some of the losses that we endured during the other previous layoffs. Went to this company, continued there, and I will give you a rapid acceleration here now. Um, I was doing very well, again, because God was in it. I was a senior manager. I had my own office, lines on the windows, my own phone and everything. And literally, I would minister to people and pray with them in my office. I would shut the door, shut the blinds, put my phone on Do Not Disturb, and I would pray with people. And a number of times, they were women. And they would cry, and I'd uh, after the prayer, there would be a brief hug, and uh, but I began to realize that boldness for Christ will be something that we all need to do at this point in time, because we do not have that much time left. Our freedoms are being taken away from us faster than we can imagine. And so I'm not necessarily condoning anybody or even advocating a man praying for a woman in a closed office kind of thing, but I knew that I could pray with those women or the men because God was in it. I knew he was in it. And they sensed it as well, amazingly. And there was a connection in the Spirit, and it helped me to become more effective because as a program manager, one of your biggest responsibilities is to develop relationships with people so that you will have a good program team and not one that is pulling against one another. Well, eventually, they uh, company was having some struggles, and they had to reassign me to another department. I really didn't want to go, and I really was kind of, okay, Lord, what are you telling me in this? Do I resign? Do I retire? What do I do? Well, I didn't hear anything. And that kind of gets me into this. Um, One of the most difficult things I've always had in my walk with the Lord is to hear his voice for myself. Especially true when I'm in a tough situation or I'm struggling with a difficult decision. And it seems the tougher the situation the more difficult the decision, the quieter God seems to be. For some inexplicable reason, 
I always find it much easier to hear God for someone else. But when it comes to myself, it's like my spiritual receiver gets jammed, scrambled, or somebody turns it off. Because seldom do I get any kind of a direct revelation from God specifically addressing my situation. I say it's sort of like at times I'm reading by Braille, I'm touching and feeling to understand what God is saying. Well, my dad always told me, Walt, that during a test, the teacher is silent. Absolutely. And then when you're praying, yes. when you're praying for something, I also understand when you're praying for something, if you don't hear anything from him, you just keep on going. Exactly. Um, now, we know that in James 1.5, it tells us that if we lack wisdom, all we need to do is ask God, and he'll supply it in abundance. Given that for the next two and a half months, because I, since I didn't hear from God, I didn't move from where I was. Because I learned that when you are in a shower of blessing. If you walk out from beneath that shower, you inherit the consequences. Whenever you stay in that shower, then you will be blessed for as long as God chooses to bless you. Mm-hmm. But, but to walk away from it is foolish. So here I was, and, and I kept praying, and I wasn't hearing anything, so I was ready to push the panic button. And it's pretty obvious God didn't share my sense of urgency because I went the entire time without even hearing a whisper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I decided to be spiritual and lay down a fleece before God, you know, like Gideon did. So at 4.30 one morning, on my way to work, I, I always went at 4.30 in the morning, even though I didn't have to start till 7.30, 8 o'clock, but because that was my quiet time. I prayed aloud, and I said, okay, God, I said, you haven't said squat, so here's, and by the way, I'm not sure that's a biblical term, but uh, (laughs) anyway, I said, uh, here's what I'm going to do, and I unfolded my plan and said, this is what I'm going to do, and in retrospect, I look back, and I'm pretty sure that God was amused at my attempt to be spiritual, but still, there was no response, no voice from heaven, no bolt of lightning, no burning bush. In fact, I didn't even get a stone cabinet via FedEx or UPS saying, Thou shalt. <laughs> so I, I just simply followed my plan, trusting if I was about to make the wrong decision, God would redirect my steps. Amazingly, about 30 minutes later, I got an email that was the contents of which I couldn't have cared less. It was about work-related stuff. And it was at that point that I suddenly became so filled up with this uh, sense of, I'm done. My mind kind of got sharp, and I immediately felt God kind of releasing me. So I prayed, I went out to the car, I called my wife, who said, whatever you decide, I am with you. And then I called two brothers in the Lord, and they both felt that, This was God's moving. So at 9.30 that morning, I went into my boss with my letter of resignation, and I told him I'm leaving in two weeks. 
he was absolutely floored. And personnel during my two weeks came in on three different occasions asking me, are you sure you want to do this? Because this was in 2009. You may remember the financial issues we had in 2008 in this nation. Mm -hmm. And I was being paid well into the six figures. And here I am. All worldly wisdom said, don't do it. But God said, do it. So I resigned. Now, there's a number of points that I learned from this that I, I'd like to share with you here. We may not always hear God speak. We simply may get a sensing telling us, this is the way, walk in it. And we've got to refrain from yielding to the ways of the world. We have to respond in accordance with the ways of the Word. If we're faithful to wait on God, He will respond, perhaps not according to our timetable, but He will always be on time. Even though we're in a situation we don't like, we're still responsible to do our best and then commit the rest. God doesn't care about our position among men. He cares about our position in Him. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are. We are called to wait on the Lord. When we trust God, there will be times when wisdom simply emerges from within, and we respond accordingly. When we take our thoughts captive to Jesus, his wisdom will arise in our soul and spirit, giving us the wisdom to act. Now, that assumes, of course, that we're in a relationship of intimacy with Christ, so that our thoughts are taken captive to him, such that we become saturated in the Word, and the Word soaks us in and through and cradles us in its wisdom and truth. If we make a mistake, God will redeem it, and that redemption will be at a time and a place of his choosing. Now, if we go back to 1 Kings 3, when God appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, he said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And then Solomon responded by saying, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. And God said, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and command, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. You see, when we ask God for wisdom, he'll often give us far more than what we ask for. 
So why is, is, is seeking God's wisdom so vital at this time? And here I'm going to switch a little bit now, switch directions. First of all, think about the humongous national debt that we have accumulated. Think of the overextended military that we have. Think about the moral bankruptcy of this nation. The rebellion and idolatry against God. Our embracing of homosexuality and our addiction to pornography. And then the veneration of political correctness. These are just simply a few reasons that we need to seek God's wisdom. <clears throat> Excuse me, because I contend that the winds of change are about to blow across America with a force that is far stronger than at any time in this nation's history. And whether such change relative to the recent election will be for the good of the nation or not remains to be seen. Regardless, if we are not properly prepared for these changes, we'll be consumed by them rather than elevated. For how we respond to change will determine how change will change our life. Of this we can be certain that to rely on man's wisdom will prove to be totally inadequate in trying to discern and respond to the times that are ahead. If we fail to ask God for wisdom, we may suddenly realize we've been deceived and fallen victim to the snares of evil and darkness. And then if that happens, then change will manage us rather than us managing the change. So if we're to survive the days ahead, we desperately need God's wisdom. This isn't the reason it is important to develop an intimate relationship with Jesus. Without it, how can you get the wisdom of God? Because the Father and the Son are one. And the Holy Spirit makes the three one entity. So we will never get the Father's wisdom if we don't have a relationship with the Son and allow the Spirit to move in and through us. If we fail to establish such, that's going to invite a tsunami of change that will sooner or later wash over us and completely cover the shoreline of our life. And then we'll be tossed, we'll be turned, we'll be tumbled in the foam of its wrath and fury that brings death and destruction along its pathway. We must seek the Lord and pursue His will, recognizing that although we will never fully understand His ways, He'll always meet our needs. And in reality, is it important that we understand God's ways? No. Did we as children understand our parents' ways? No. We trusted them. 
We believed that they were looking out for our best interest. We may not have always agreed with it. In fact, we may have even rebelled at times, but nonetheless. And if a parent here on earth, if our earthly father can be such, how much more our heavenly father will be to us. So we serve a God who's faithful even when we're not. We serve a God whose compassion, mercy, and love are boundless. And we serve a God who is ever-present in our time of need to deliver us from all evil into the safety and security of his presence. Isaiah wrote, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. Now, since God knows the end from the beginning, he also knows the kind of changes we'll encounter right down to the smallest detail. So if we want to make godly decisions, isn't it wise and smart to seek the wisdom of God rather than to depend upon our own insights and ability? Maybe that's why Solomon wrote, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Wow. My friends, let me, let me tell you, America right now is engaged in a fierce spiritual battle for her very soul. There has been such a transition that has taken place, a shifting, and I would say this shifting emanates out of the heavenlies. The battle for America's soul began in the heavenlies and is now being enacted out here on earth. And our time, the church's time, is grown shorter and shorter and shorter. And I am fully convinced that the rapture is not only imminent, but it could be even as we're speaking right now. And quite frankly, my brothers, it's a great day for a rapture. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Any day is a Any great day. day for a rapture. You better believe it. But we... I I watch how things, one of the things that I think uh, the Lord has given me, he's given me the ability to write, and again, because not of any skills that I have, but because of what he has instilled into me. He has poured things into my head I probably have enough material now to write another dozen books, and I am mm. not kidding. Um, well, the, um, I want to make sure that you tell the folks that are listening, you know, where they can get those books well, uh, before, you, uh, before you leave tonight. Okay. Um, I feel that... What we are seeing in America today is 
only the beginning. Um, now, I, I'm not uh, trying to be political here in terms of endorsing anyone. I'm simply stating some facts. Um, we have seen with the election and the inauguration of Trump a shifting in this nation. We have seen a shifting in the spirit of this nation. And, gentlemen, it is not good if left unattended and if the church fails to assume its proper role and authority in this nation, which is to be the spiritual and moral leader. We, the church, for too long has abdicated its role and has held on to its precious tax exemption and not spoken aloud and spoken the truth because of money. She's more interested in nickels and noses than she is in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I see that as a sad state of affairs, and I firmly am convinced this is one of the reasons why America is in the spiritual pit that she is in right now. And it is going to be the prayers of the righteous that will avail much. And that may not include organized religion. And I say organized religion to mean the, the churches that are so worried about their tax exemptions. We need to be bold for Christ. We need to stand up for our faith and not worry the consequences. Because if Christ was willing to go to the cross for us, are we not willing to suffer whatever may come to us for as so, now, I don't know how old you gentlemen are, and I'm not asking, but if you understand, if you know who Br'er Rabbit is, Br'er Rabbit would say, throw me in that briar patch. <laughs> and, and that's what we should be saying as Christians. Stand up, speak the truth, and throw me in the briar patch, if that's what you think you want to do. Or throw me in the pit of lions, or throw me in that fiery furnace because there will be three or more in there besides me. So that's the attitude that I think we need to develop. And we need to be fueled by the fires of heaven. We need to be drinking from the fountain of life, which is coming from the Word of God, we need to be dining on every word that comes out of God because Jesus himself said, you know, man shall not live by bread alone. But every fact, word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm sorry. I'm but, sorry. But every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yes. Yes. And that brings me into another, you know, in Luke, I think it's Luke 4, uh, Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist. 
And one of the things John said, he must increase and I must decrease. Are we willing to let Jesus increase as we decrease? Or are we still clinging to the things of this world? But Jesus, after his baptism, the dove descended upon him, and then Jesus went into the wilderness to face Satan. Now, what happened when he went in there? First of all, he fasted. Why did he fast? I believe that fasting shuts down the worldly side of who we are and enables the spiritual side to move in, because if you've ever fasted, you will recall, at least it's been so with me and others that I've known, that you break through a wall and all of a sudden your thinking becomes very clear, you become sensitive, and you begin to understand things in a sharper, more focused way. And so Jesus went into the wilderness having and fasting in 40 days, and Satan came to him. And what did he say? If you are the Son of God. Satan was attacking who Jesus was. He was trying to steal Jesus' identity. But Jesus' identity was not rooted in the world. It was rooted in the Father, in the Word of God, because he went in filled with the Spirit. He came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. The lesson there is that when we experience wildernesses in our life, we need to go into that filled with the Spirit, filled with the Word, feasting on the Word, so that we then will get that sharpness and be able to make and hear those things that we are supposed to make and hear, and then we'll come out on the other side in the power of that victory, because we've walked through the wilderness in the proper way. I know from my own experience, the very first time that I got laid off, what did I do when I went in the wilderness? I whimpered, I whined, I cried, why me, Lord? I looked for everything, and I tried to figure out what did I do wrong, instead of what are you saying to me, God? So that's another point. When we get into a wilderness, it's not What's the matter with me? What did I do wrong? Or why did the world do this? Or I'm being treated unfairly. Forget all that. And just simply sit down with God and ask the question, what are you saying to me in this? And what do you want me to do? It's as simple as that. And then we can handle the changes that come into our life unexpectedly. Because every single day we're going to face change. But again, how we respond to the change will determine how that change changes our life. Are we going to look through our situation through the glasses of the world? 
or are we going to look at it through the lens of Scripture? Whichever decision we make is going to determine the kind of outcome that we experience. Are we living for God, or are we living for the world? You live for the Lord, and you will get heavenly outcomes. If you live for the world, you will get worldly outcomes. Too many of us have subterranean thinking rather than heavenly thinking. And that makes all the difference in the world. Now, the truth of the matter is, if you were to get my wife on this conversation, she would probably say, why don't you practice what you just said? (laughs) Because too often, I don't respond the way I should. And I guess that's a part of growing in the spirit. All right. Amen to that. Said a mouthful there, Walt. Absolutely. We was a preach-on tonight. I'm telling you what, I feel like I've been to been to church and back. I love that. That's oh, well. awesome. Well, before we, before we let you go, Walt, um, first of all, thank you so very much for your time and and uh, and for calling in tonight, but we want to. You know, God Stories Radio is home of the shameless plug, so we'd like you to plug your website or your publisher or wherever the, the folks can get your books and or they can contact you. Just go for it. Okay, um, let me, if I may, uh, the two books that that I speak on the most, because I, I do uh, do a lot of speaking. And by the way, I never asked for money because it's not about money, it's about the message. And since God has enabled us to retire and live uh, comfortably, money's not the issue. Amen. We've but always felt the same way. That's why we don't uh, you know, beg for money on God Stories Radio. For the most part, we have funded it you know, out of our own pockets, you know, but it's getting to the point now we may have to, to ask for, uh, the Lord's blessing, which we should anyway. Well, if I may, I'd like to share just one or two brief excerpts here out of the book, the Bible and politics, so that people understand, uh, it's not a big thick book. It doesn't get into heavy uh, theological discussions and so forth and so on. Uh, there's two points to the book. Number one, it's to try to cause people to stop shaping their faith by their politics and start molding their politics by their faith. To also realize that. Uh, Regardless of what anybody says, everybody says, oh, you don't talk about politics and religion. I say, absolutely, yes, you do. And by the way, tie them together because that's the way they should be spoken about. Um, So what I've done is I've taken a collection of sayings and so forth from famous people in the entertainment, sports, political arena, world arena. And then I write it down. I I use a lot of humor in here. And then I write a very brief section, and then I show how it ties into uh, uh, Scripture. One here says a diaper and a politician should be changed regularly, and for the very same reason. 
expelling the unwanted, which includes the stench of internal decay. Just as a baby cannot control its bowels or bladder, so Congress is, not, is unable to control its urge to spend and pass new legislation. At least for the baby, there's a valid reason, but Congress has no excuse. Somewhere around the early 1900s, legislators began to confuse busyness with actual work performed, and they still do. The Bible says that those who won't work shouldn't eat. Maybe if Congress had to earn their wages, they'd be more responsible and slower to spend hours. In the scripture, Deuteronomy 13.5, you must purge the evil from among you. Mm-hmm. And one last one here. Ronald Reagan said, the government's like a baby's elementary canal with a happy appetite at one end and no responsibility at the other. Two things a politician has never learned, when to stop talking and when to stop spending. History confirms the longer Congress is in session, the more they talk and subsequently spend, which generally leads to higher taxes. To solve both the so-called global warming and energy crisis, one solution might be to bottle the gas being expelled from the mouth of every politician. Mm-hmm. Of course, a charcoal filter would be needed. And you had said something earlier about uh, the church needs to step up and be the spiritual leader of the nation because they have stepped back uh, for so many years, and it, it, it is now time for them to realize this and step up. Yes, it, it absolutely is. Um, I think that one of the biggest issues in the church today is most churches are not speaking from Scripture. They're using books, speeches, uh, recent anecdotal uh, inputs, and so forth. And while they, and to put that scripturally, the congregation's ears are being tickled. Mm -hmm. They are so concerned with building their church. We're more concerned with building monuments to men than we are a monument to God. And as a result, we have churches, not only are they declining in their impact upon our nation's ability to govern rightly, but they're declining in attendance, they're declining in their finances, and I am of the opinion that this is one of God's ways of uh, getting us to realize what's going on. Yeah, if a church church isn't gaining and growing... And if they're losing finances and, and members and so on and so forth, then God isn't in it. That's exactly right. It is exactly right. And, uh, I mean, what did Jesus try to go around and, and double the number of disciples, you know, every month? No. In fact, recall when he talked about his body and his blood and 
uh, how many turned away from him because it was such a hard lesson, hard teaching, almost grossed them out. And Jesus turned to Peter and says, what about you? And Jesus said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And until the church realizes that that is the issue, she's going to continue to decline and lose favor among men in this world. And when I say lose favor, I should say lose influence. Because if you recall in our history, especially during the Revolutionary War, you would have a preacher get up there and he would preach a sermon that would knock the socks off of most people today, and as soon as he was done, he would disrobe, pick up his rifle, and he'd go out if there was a battle that was brewing and he had to partake of. You see, at that point in our history, the church was the leadership. I mean, that's one thing I will say now, and and the current administration, if you gentlemen are not aware of it, but I'm pretty sure you are, there are numerous Christians who are involved in this administration. He and keep, the most, He keeps picking them daily. Yes. I mean, did you hear what Mike Pompeo said in one of the speeches he gave in a church? I mean, he came right out and said about Jesus Christ the only solution to America's problems is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And, I mean, Mike Pence is a very, very strong Christian. Mm -hmm. And I saw him, in fact, at the end of his uh, inaugural inauguration, if you noticed, he emphatically said not only emphatically, but very ardently said, so help me God. And he said it in such a way that he knows that it's only God that is going to get him through and give him the wisdom. I saw humility in that man, and I'm encouraged like I've never been before about our leaders in Washington I am fully convinced, and I'm sure you feel the same way, or I would expect that perhaps you would, uh, I am convinced that God intervened in this election. There is absolutely no way, I don't care how you put the measurement stick, what measurement or what rules you apply, Donald Trump should never have won this election. It was a miracle. It was a miracle, and when I was praying afterwards, here's what I sensed God say to me. I gave you, and, and this was not, he, he said it, I, I picked it up to me, but it was in relationship to the, the church, the praying church. I gave you what you wanted, now what are you going to do with it? In other words, it's in the hands of those who went to their knees in prayer 
about this election. And I've shared that a couple of times now. Uh, and I, that's why I think it is extremely important for the Lord or for us to be praying for our leaders in Washington more than we ever have because we have such militancy, such anger, such violence. It's being funded by demonic, evil people mm-hmm. in this in this world who have a tremendous amount of money. And I mean, I can't even think in the figures of the, the amount of money that some of these people have. And they're demonic. It is a spiritual battle. And it's only just begun. We cannot, we must not give up in praying for wisdom for our leaders and protection of the blood of Jesus upon them so that they can do what they have been called to do. And as it appears, for the glory of God, and not for the glory of men. Amen to that. Amen to that. Session 112, Mikey. It just astounds me. I know, right? Wow. Well, I... I I could probably talk for quite a while more, but I, I'm sure you're probably getting your fill. So <laughs> it's, uh, I, and by the well, way, the book, the book on change, uh, before I shift, the Bible and politics got some good endorsements and, uh, from people like Ben Kinchlow, you recall, uh, uh-huh. Dave Elden, a congressman. Uh, Danny McKnight, Colonel Danny McKnight, he was the commanding officer uh, of the Rangers over in Mogadishu in uh, Black Hawk Down. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he wrote a, a nice endorsement of the book. And then the one coping with change, the purpose of this book is to discuss what are the biblical principles that we should be employing in order to handle change. There are certain principles in Scripture, and they're scattered throughout Scripture. What are they? How do we handle? And just give you a very quick, in Samuel 31, you recall when David was... uh, uh, Oh, my gosh, uh, the Philistine, Philistine king, Kish, uh, uh, was it? Or Anyway, he was supposed to go out to battle. My mind just went blank. Well, I'm 74, so I have that privilege every now and then. <laughs> um, he was supposed to go to battle against his own people, and the commanders of that king, uh, whose name I can find as soon as I just flipped that, but they said, no, we don't want him because we don't trust him. We, we don't think he'll fight for us. He will turn against us. Uh, and uh, actually, it was First Samuel. If I said second, I was wrong. It's First Samuel. And he said, he can't go out with us. So David went back, and uh, uh, the, uh, yeah, here it is, Philistines, Akish. I, I was I was right. And 
when David went back, I mean, he had his uh, camp, so to speak, in Ziklag, and when he went back, he found everything was gone. His wife, his children, the wives and children of all of his men, all of their belongings, it was gone. You talk about change. Well, what was the first thing David did? He, he prayed. He encouraged himself. Yes, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He prayed. And uh, there are five principles in uh, chapter 30 of 1 Samuel that we can ferret out on how to handle change. And David established them there. And so that is kind of what the book is about. What are those principles and how do we employ them and implement them in our life? Well, if you don't know what they are, you'll not be able to do it. But if you know where they are, at least you got a head start. Now, I can be reached in several ways, one of which is on my email, and it is Walt, W-A-L-T, Manning, M-A-N-N-I-N-G, at hotmail.com, Walt Manning at hotmail.com. And by the way, the very first time I heard of a Hotmail account, it was a pastor, and I heard that, and my immediate thought was, what in the world is this guy doing with a porno site? <laughs> I didn't know. So so that's my email. I am on Facebook, uh, and it's uh, Walter Manning. Uh, and then if you get one, you'll get the others, because at the bottom like on my uh, email address, when I send an email back, I have my Facebook accounts. I have uh, three Facebook accounts. I'm on Twitter as well. Now, if you send me or anyone sends me an email, because I have a, a high filter on it, uh, please just simply mention radio station or God Stories radio, something that will associate with this evening. Because if you don't, you've got a high probability you will be swimming in the trash. <laughs> well, thank you again, Walt. We appreciate that. And um, thank you for calling in and, and giving your time to God Stories radio. Amen. Well, they can also twit us. Yes, at they God can. God Stories Radio. They can also send us uh, an email at GodStoriesRadio at gmail.com. You can also uh, like us on Facebook. They can. Please. And they can also follow us on iHeart. On iHeartRadio. And uh, also, if you get the Mixler app, M I X L R, you can listen to us live every Thursday on that app, and uh, it will notify you when we're on, so you'll never miss an episode. Also, you can. Um, Look up Freedom Radio Networks with an S dot com or on uh, Facebook. And there we have uh, God Stories Radio 24-7 going around the world in uh, session one to session 112. And it's just looping 24 hours a day. So you'll have 24 hours of encouragement on a daily basis. Well, we got to get out of here. 
We've been about uh, 85 minutes wow. long here. So uh, that about wraps it up. We hope you're blessed. Have a great week. That wraps it up for session 112. I'm Fritz. I'm Mike. God bless. God bless. You went down one of those roads Nobody should have to go Life sure got real, real fast You couldn't see your way out Your world was under a cloud All you could feel was helpless You didn't think you could do it through it. You kept faith when you didn't have a prayer. Found hope when it wasn't even there. Up against the impossible